Well, just press my screen and make sure that it's um, got the background. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I press record. Yeah. Got to jump in. He's got a little bit of fame. He's just got to jump in there, isn't he? Just a little bit. Look, here we go. Ground Zero Life Without Limits podcast. And today's guest is the amazing runner, Holly Rush. Here she is, because we're not just doing a podcast now. We're throwing these on YouTube as well, because I've been told off about not doing that. So, look, I'm going to let... Am I on YouTube? Yeah, you're going to go on YouTube too now. Why didn't you tell me? I had to brush my hair. Oh my God, are we really going down this road? There's no filters. My head today. There's no Instagram filters on here. Look, there's no oh. butterflies floating over your head or anything like that. It's just got to be raw, right? Damn. Yeah, right. No worries. So, look, I'm going to let Holly this time bring in a few stats about herself and let her lead this one off. And we'll just see how this goes. All right. So how's it going, Hob? It's going really well, actually. I'm sort of weirdly enjoying the lockdown at the moment. Um, my simple life in a bubble um but yeah no it's going it's going cool how's it how's it for you man it's good for me i love it because like you know you can eat well i kind of say this to most people you, you can eat if you're into it you can eat what you want you can eat the best of what you need because it's all right there literally in your house so there's no excuses and you can drink mm. quite a bit if you want to and you can mix in like your recovery walks naps whatever you feel like you need it's just all there isn't it yeah but, it is exactly I do get the feeling that if I was a full-time athlete, it could get boring because I'd imagine this lifestyle is like a full-time athlete's lifestyle, but without the racing, if that makes sense. So, because it's all yeah. train, repeat, eat, do you know what I mean? It's just got no mixture in there. Yeah, it is. But I guess um, for a lot of elite athletes, full-time athletes at the moment, they haven't got the, um, they can't get to like the track and the gyms and also i'm hearing from a lot of athletes that i know they're actually you realize how reliant they are on um their physio and um their coaches their supplementary stuff and they can't get that so for some athletes they're like properly like scared getting really scared about it that they're going to lose their yeah. games or their fitness yeah exactly exactly they're going to get injured i mean a lot of athletes are you know really sort of on the edge because um, when you're training like that, you do need to be put together again. And if you haven't got that sort of Achilles heel, shall I say, you haven't got that someone on the side looking after you, then, you know, it can all go to shit. Hey, I never thought of that aspect before. I'm kind of cool mm. that you brought that on. Mm. So, Sorry, I didn't even start bit, talking about on. me. Just talking about other people. I want to hear a little bit about Holly Rush. I want to know a little bit who Holly Rush is, what she's done, and let's just take it away. Well, I am Holly Rush, or Rush by Nature, um, and I am a reformed road runner. <laughs> so my background was a, I was a fun runner, and I didn't start running until I was in my, like, I don't know, like, just before my 20, like, I was 20-ish. Um, I had no background of running. I wasn't a junior athlete at all. In fact, my background was um, horses. I loved horse racing, and I actually, I was a jockey for a little bit. So, um, yeah, I didn't run at all. It was... I, I, we've, we've talked about this before, but it was um, it was basically a bet sort of thing, um, watching London Marathon, because I was a student in London, which I wouldn't advise to anyone. And um, I was watching London Marathon because I'd watched it on television. I thought, well, I live in London, so I'll watch it, because a friend of mine was running it, and it was a really hot year. I can't remember what year it was, maybe 96, 97. Um, Just when I was leaving school somewhere around then. Like. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I went to university. Sorry, I had to throw that in. I had to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've, yeah, 
Pete says stuff like that to me all the time. Um, and um, so I was watching the marathon and I had a pint of cellar in one hand, a burger in the other hand. Classic. And I was watching people run past. And like, if you watch on the marathon, um, you see people all different shapes and sizes, ages, abilities, people dressed up as rhinos and centipedes, etc. And then you see some really fast people and you think, actually, well, I think you're like, it shows what sort of person you are because some people would be like, I really don't want to do that. That looks horrific. Or you look at it and you go, oh, actually, I might give this a go. And I said that to my mates and they were like, yeah, whatever. And um, I did. I signed up to do it for a charity, um, animal charity. And I did it the next year. Um, and it was, yeah, but it was shocks and system. I didn't, I trained minimally, but enough. And, um, and I, I finished in just under four hours, like 3.57 or something, um, dressed in totally inappropriate clothing, bath rugby shorts, cotton t-shirt. It rained very hard the whole time. And I had the most horrific chafing at the end of it. <laughs> but obviously I loved it. And after that, I sort of kept it going. And then um, I sort of dipped in and out of running because um, my life took over my job. I did go into a job in sport and, um, eventually came back to um bath where where i was sort of brought up near bath sort of somerset and um yeah started running probably again and and then i was picked up by coach because i ran i would run, i was running like 306 308 310 that sort of pace but don't you think though when people think about it yeah like i know i'm just going to ski over this bit London Marathon is a bit of an awkward one because I've got loads of friends that have done it. I've never really chose or tried to get into it, but I know it's a weird time of the year because you're kind of training through winter. And that's probably the reason why people seem to always under-train for London Marathon mm -hmm. because they just can't get outside when they live here to get... Do you know what I mean? Not everyone wants to run when it's like snowing, hail, wind, rain. It's that time of the year, isn't it? Yeah, and no, definitely. I, I mean, I think autumn marathon's always better because you can run through the summer. It depends what sort of runner you are, isn't it, really? I mean, Pete absolutely hates the warm weather and I don't mind it. But, um, but yeah, so anyway, blah, blah. So I went from there and then eventually I ended up running much faster than I ever thought. And um, I was selected to represent Great Britain, first of all, in... Uh, oh, my first best was actually in Singapore, which was horrific so humid and so hot and but that was exciting to wear my gb vest there and then i had a couple of other small sort of internationals and then i got selected after london the trials at london marathon um i was selected because i came like the top six women at in london um british women and i got selected to go to the european championships which was amazing because it's like um you know, so the first proper, you know, international to be selected for. And that was amazing, much more than I ever expected would ever happen to me as a, you know, chubby student watching <laughs> marathon side of the road with a beer and a burger. But um, I guess I've always felt that I've never really lost that little bit of me. I don't see myself as that sort of level. But so to go to the Europeans was amazing. And it was an amazing experience. And I had a really great race. Um, and then from there, I got selected because I was the third woman at to count um in uh, barcelona and, and we won a silver medal which was great and to stand in the pose you know stand in uh um, at the in the stadium in your gb outfit you know and you're your friends and family there to be to get a medal on the podium is like that wow amazing. it was amazing it was just like i never ever experienced thought i'd ever get anything like that so it was like a massive whirlwind thing and then to go from there 
to um, to represent uh, my country at the Commonwealth Games um, and the first sort of um, multi-discipline event. So you're there with like swimmers from Australia, you're there from uh, with all sorts of athletes from all over the world. And um, it was it was tough though. It was in Delhi. It was the year of the like lockdown. So we basically time trialed um the the marathon with no one watching us because it was locked down um but it was another great experience to run in a different country and with meet all these other athletes um and then i slightly lost i mean i i don't know where you want to go into this but i lost my sort of love for marathon training actually just not so long after know, that. i mean when this like just to get go over it was you a full-time athlete then or did you still work over that period of time because not all sort of i always find that like olympians europeans they don't always get enough money through sponsorship so they're generally having to still do a part-time job at least to fund everything yeah so i wasn't funded by the federation it's very hard to be funded by the federation now you'd have to be like podium um podium and even then it's not a huge amount of money but you get really good medical support um so i was really lucky that um so i worked uh, full time up until I think it was a year before the Europeans where I'd been I was I managed to get a private sponsor uh, which was great and he helped me for a number of years he was just a, a sort of a, a, someone I knew who was um, he invested in a lot of businesses and people he believed in and he was helping me trying to find someone to sponsor me and in the end he's like I really like your approach and what you've been doing so I'm just going to help you and it was like wow so I was full time for um, I was full time for maybe a year or two years, which I really struggled with, if I'm honest, because I'd always worked full time, and then to go to do that, I, I it just wasn't it wasn't for me. But it really helped me. It helped me realise what being full time means. And I, for a lot of people, people think going full time means you do more training, but actually that's not what it's about. It's about getting the rest and the recovery and all the other bits and bits. But Bob's right so that you can facilitate your training. And I think that that's the problem with some athletes, they just do go crazy. So yeah, so, so to answer that I was, uh, but then I went back to working because um, the funding stopped and also it just, I wanted to work because I like to have that distraction, you know, it's just like just running all the time. It's just all you think up. about. Was it, is it mm. quite a lonely life being a pro runner? Can it be lonely sometimes? Was it nice to then go back and get, do a bit of part-time work to kind of fill those gaps in? Yeah, I think it, it was lonely, but um, I mean, I trained with, um, I, I trained with a group of guy lads on the track on the Tuesday and Thursdays, but I did a lot of the stuff on my own or my coach would come with me on the bike or something. But no, I mean, in terms of the day, you would, because you're training twice a day, it was a bit like, You'd be waiting for the next session and you'd feel anxious about it, or I would, or I would just walk around the house eating everything that I could see because I was just bored. Um, and yeah, I just don't, it's just not for me. You know, I know it's like some people's, you know, biggest wish be like, oh, I'd love to be able to train full time, but it just didn't work for me, if I'm honest. I need to have something else to distract me. I know I've been listening to a lot of other things from people around the world at the minute. And like one of them was like the golden era bodybuilding. I was listening to how they used to flatmate with, they would move to like California, move to Venice and all these places. And they would flat with the people that were their training partners. So they yeah. kind of like ate together, hung out at the beach together, do their like two weightlifting sessions together a day. And that seemed to be the way they thrived back then because they had someone they could always go off of. 
But did you have any of that over the years? Were you flatmated with people and they were fellow runners to kind of like... Oh, no, brick session? just training camps. Like, so we, I'd spend time at altitude. Um, but the problem is with that, if you go into training camps, you spend time with people for certain, you know, like a month or whatever, is you can... So I spent a while in San Moritz, which is an amazing place to train. It's really bloody expensive, but it's a great place to train. It's stunning. And there's a lot of athletes go there, especially now at the start. It wasn't such a big thing. Quite a few of the Africans, Italians and the Americans went there. So actually when I was there, Mo was training and I was staying there in a place with Mara Yamuchi, who's our number two marathon runner, um, was, is still, which ran to 20 something. And um, I was, the problem is I would sort of see what she did and think, oh, well, I should be doing something like that. Or I should be doing this, I should be doing that. And that can be dangerous, you know? So she was really good. She had a really good stretching routine. I never stretch. I didn't ever stretch. So I started stretching, like obsessively, and then ended up doing something to my hamstring. So actually, as long as, I think it, it works for some people, but for me, I was quite, I was, you know, quite early in my career, um, quite young, and I just sort of looked at what other people did and um, probably did, some of the stuff they did which didn't suit me so it can work but um yeah it obviously it didn't work for me <laughs> funny enough you should say that because we had someone on the other day um Uris, who is a strength and bodybuilding coach and all that and he said something similar about what people do is they kind of look at the elite and then they kind of compare themselves to them and then they try and like simulate everything that they're doing which is like every person you need to look at yourself as an individual and he said that's why so many people make mistakes is because they're not looking at themselves as individual you know like not everybody can tolerate like two bananas a day not everyone can tolerate an yeah. simple things do you know what i mean or like you're saying yeah. everybody can tolerate that much stretching or if any stretching so do you know what it's a conversation i had today actually with my um uh coach mentor um about that specifically because i've noticed on instagram people doing certain sessions or um doing certain things and i've been sort of thinking oh i'm not sure if i do that or and and i actually think that at this time a lot of um anyone running they could be beginners they could be aspiring athletes you know county level who go maybe go to the track and train with other people every week are missing that and they're almost just picking workouts that might be home workouts that might be running workouts just out of the blue of what other people are doing and then doing them and not really knowing why they're doing them and the purpose the purpose of that session and i that's a worry i think that some people could i mean i've already seen a couple of people my neighbors are injured from doing home workouts in the morning <laughs> yeah you know and so i think this time is because we've got more time maybe to think about that um, and you're not doing your normal training. Because a lot of people get on the track on the Tuesday. They're not coached, but they have a club coach and they set the training. And most of the time, that's pretty good. It's pretty standard. It's a 5, 10K session on Tuesday, maybe a tempo on a Thursday. But if you don't have that guidance and you're like, oh, and you have no idea what a 5K session looks like or should feel like or a tempo session, and then you're picking something off the internet or seeing what someone's done, it's just like, I don't know, it's an interesting time. It is. And you've got to, I think a lot of it, you grasp through experience and you need to find the right coach. Which I've been talking about with a lot of people on every level from sort of like physical strength, endurance, mental aspect, whatever. And it's like, I know what's right for me. Like 
if I were to put some weight on or I don't, my knees aching every day, like I, people used to think I ran all the time. I didn't, I'd run like three miles once a week. And then I would do a long run on the trails, which is like 50% running, 50% hiking slash walking anyway, because it's so technical here and it's more enjoyment. And then the rest of the time I would just lift and I kind of, my body loved that because kind of flourish. That's why you're so slow then. Huh? That's why you're so slow. That, I am slow. I, I don't even. I don't even try and be fast. I've got no interest in being fast. You know what? I'm actually quite worried if you two come down. If this does come off in the summer, here, because I'm actually thinking. I was sitting there the other night with Soph saying, "How am I going to keep up?" Oh, it's fine. with those two. So they're going to be dragging me. I'm going to be getting cramped up, and they're going to be saying, "Come on, Anne. Take on more fluids. Take on more salt tablets. Come on. Come on. Let's do this." He can carry you. Uh, Pete, he won't need to carry me. I'm light enough to try and get past, I reckon. I can just, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, but no, I totally get it. I know what's right for me, but I still make those mistakes at the minute by saying, oh, I'm going to run twice today, but I'm going to do two short fast sessions, which I know doesn't always agree with me. And, you mm. know, those type of things. Or I might go down and think, oh, I'm a bit bored. I'm going to jump in on the kids' Joe Wicks. Do you know what I mean? And then next thing I'm like, oh, my knees are aching because I'm doing these jumping weird lunges and stuff that I don't do. So, yeah, totally. I totally get what's going on at the minute. So, but look, let's go back to you. So, basically, you're at the Commonwealth Games. We was at that point. And then what sort of carried on from that then? So, I um, wanted to, I was still adamant that I could run faster. And I think also from my other race times and my training suggested that I could run faster than 237, which is what I kept running. I think I ran it five times. Um, and um, I basically just got disillusioned. I went to Houston, which was the American trials that year, 2012, to try and run faster. I mean, I think I had maybe just a sub 235 in me, but you know, it, everything has, the stars have to align, don't they? And, um, and I got there and um, I, didn't, I didn't wear a watch. And I came around the finish and the finish is quite long. And I came around and it was like 237, one, two, three and it, I think my PB was like 237.25 or something and um, I came over the line like two seconds outside of my PB and I was devastated. Devastated because I didn't get a PB but even if I had just gone a couple of seconds under I still would have been devastated because I just kept running the same time and it, I just was like I can't I just I don't know if I want to do this anymore I was like just I I just was not with it you know I just wasn't up for it and I, I carried on I can't remember how long I think it was maybe early summer and I, I it was one night on the track and it was wet and cold and windy and I just got to the other side of the track and I just took my shoes off and I just walked across and said you know what I've, I can't be bothered with this at the moment and literally that night I got back and I started searching for races other things to do and I had in my mind about doing an ultra or something one day because I knew I was pretty good at running long distances and so I found and I've always wanted to go to Nepal and I found this multi-day race which is it was his first year in Nepal and I just clicked to enter and so that's when it all started when I went off to Nepal and went from running roads when I hated any off-road like anything even running on a canal path was like off-road to me um <laughs> any sort of grassy muddy bit would freak me out I would get in a horrible huff about it. Um, and so I went, so I thought, I know, I'll go to Nepal and run in the Himalayas. And um, so I went there and the first couple of days I was like, what have I done? 
but then I realized that it wasn't about clock watching. It didn't matter what, like I'd have conversations with people who were doing it and like be like, so what's your, um, what's your 5k PB or what's your mile time? And they're like, I really don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I just, I just run. Yeah. And so I fell in love with Nepal and I fell in love with um, all that sort of stuff. And then mm. as soon as I got back from there, I entered um, Comrades because I'd heard that Comrades is like the biggest, bestest of road ultra in the world so i thought i should do that and that's where i went after that and what so i went to comrades that race? just so people know what, what was the kind of distance that you covered in nepal and what was the kind of distance that you covered with comrades okay so nepal was it wasn't actually an ultra such as a multi-day so i think we covered around 240 250k over eight days or something uh, with very high altitude i'd never been to altitude like that i trained at altitude for my marathon training, which was around 2,000 metres, like Font Rameau and San Moritz. Because um, sickness kind of starts around 2,500 metres. That's what they gauge it at, don't they? You can start any, yeah. I mean, you can, yeah, you can start from 2,000 metres up. It's normally around, I would say probably normally around above 3,000. Um, but so the in Manosphere, we went over 5,200. So it was a bit of, you know, like from zero to hero. And then, um, but, I, but it was good. I, it was fine. And... Um, just everything about it was amazing. Um, and then obviously, so coming back, doing Comrades. Comrades is a 90K race in South Africa. It's legendary. Um, some amazing athletes have run there. Um, it's huge. Um, you have to qualify to do it. The qualification is like quite soft. It's okay. And then um, it's either uphill or downhill every year. So it's point to point. And the year I did it was uphill. And it was probably one of the hottest years. I think it has been the hottest years it was the first year I did it. So it was like a, an oven, you know, like a, a fan oven. So it's windy with warm. So it was a massive shock. And you basically climb until you get to the finish. What are the time um, now? What type of people, like the top people, what, the, what times are they finishing in? Oh, well, like now, at the time, there was a couple of Russians that won it all the time. <laughs> wink, wink. Um, and so, but they soon left um so there was there have been some very fast times whether they're real times um but hey but um, they train hard don't we have this conversation all the time and i had this with someone else the other day they still train they, hard they're still doing it you know well they do train hard but they don't race anything else they didn't race anything else all the year and they would only just come and do that race because funnily enough it's a very very lucrative prize fund mm-hmm. anyway i won't go there so um but it's yeah, the money's really, really good. Like top ten money's really good, and you get the if you come in the top ten, you win a gold, um, solid gold uh, crew grand, so a medal, which is worth depending how much gold is worth, a lot of money, and there's other bonuses, time bonuses and stuff. So it's worth coming in the top ten, and um, but yes, it's the times that are running. I mean, the times have got really, really quick. I mean, Camille Heron has uh, who most people probably know who's um got loads of records she has won it and i can't remember what time she's done it's super quick like the downhill that year also obviously quicker than the uphill year um but yeah it's 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 pretty it, it, it's not slow um i ran it in seven hours and i came seventh so i was pretty stoked to do that on my first ultra that was my first my first race above um a marathon but you had a bit of street cred, didn't you, anyway? Do you know what I mean? You I had, had some street cred because of my marathon time, um, but it was a total unknown for me, and I did it to heart rate because I knew what heart rate I could do for a marathon, and I had to obviously, I, I reduced that slightly, but between me and my coach, we came up with a plan, and it, and it paid off. 
Did you, so, so yeah. just so people get an understanding. So at this point, was you a sponsored athlete still? Was you just still doing your job, PTing, or what um, was going on in your life in general at this point? Had you no? I was working. I was working for England Athletics, um, and I was uh, and doing sports therapy as well. Um, in terms of sponsorship, do you know what? I can't remember because I was a Socony athlete for quite a while, and then I um, then I went. Pardon. Socony? Did you say that word? Socony? What's that all Socony about? Socony or yeah. Socony? I don't know if you know them. No, no, that's cool. Yeah. I was just wondering. I was yeah. just lost then. <laughs> so, so Socony, and then, um, and then I um, got picked up by Asics. Actually, Asics, who I work for, not Asics. Mm. Um, and um, so, yeah, I've been really lucky with having supported as an ambassador. Um, and so, at the time, I think I was Socony. I can't remember um and so yes I was um but that's not monetary that's just that's just kit um but I was lucky enough because I came seventh I won a reasonable amount of money so that covered me getting there and bits and bobs and a little bit of money in my back back pocket and then so from there I went on to do a number of other sort of ultras um I did Ultravassen which was the first of the first year and that was a Swedish trail race which was amazing again that was 90k um that was great um and i've done oh, Le Templier, which is quite a big race in america um sorry in france um i've done utmb i've done ccc twice i've done oh cotswold way 100 my first 100 miler which i that's did cool. which is local that's exactly what i was going to touch on so initially yeah. it sounds to me you were kind of aiming between so when you think of ultras people think 32 miles onwards was yeah. your kind of gauge at the start about 60 milers, something like that? Was it in that range initially? That was where you was? What was the dream yeah, to I mean, 100 miler though, eventually? Yeah, I mean, I don't, hadn't, no, I always thought 100 miles was for crazy people um, because it's just, why would you do that? Um, and also remember my background was like faster as such. So I always thought like, oh, well, it's just for real, sorry people listening but it's just like for really slow people like me, but, hippie, um, yeah. hippie trail runners <laughs> just don't care take selfies all day long <laughs> yeah and just like walk and eat picnics and and actually although that really appeals to me um i wanted to be like fast as well and that's and i think that's definitely the move that the ultra world's going to has gone i mean i think that we're getting some really good fast athletes doing ultras and pushing those boundaries but so for me um, after comrades, I, I, again, I was still sort of predominantly comrades with road. Remember, so for me to go to the trails, it was quite. And UTMB was terrifying uh, for me to think about long term, and that's why I did the CCC, which I struggled. I have to say, I struggled um, on that first year. I did it. What was your finishing? And what was your finishing places like on those races? Some of them. I came sixth at CCC the first year. I think I need to have a look up. I came oh, sixth one year. And then um, I can't remember the second year. I need to have a look. And then UTMB, I came, I don't know, 19th, I think. Um, that was not last year before, but I had, um, I fractured my foot a month before. So I was running off no training, just hiking. Um, so for me, that was really hard, very, very hard time for me, but I'm so glad I finished it. Um, but uh, Cotswold Way was my first, yeah, my first delve into because before that I'd done the longest I'd done had been yeah 100k I guess um because I'd done CCC um 
What was it like to do the first 100 miler? How did you have any, like, did you think, oh, I want to do it within like 24 hours. So I want to do it within this, this and this. People have a sort of, when they think of 100 miles, they think of a certain time bracket and what they want to do. Yeah, so, I think. Any so 24 hours, obviously that's the one tick. Then I, then it was the course record and I can't remember what it was. I think it was like 24 hours something uh, because to do the Cotswold Way, it's just over 100 miles, like 103, 104 miles. And it's, it is reasonably tough. It's quite a lot of climbing in it. Um, it's beautiful, but it's sort of a bit relentless. You know, it's sort of, it's never really flat and it's, it's, it's a lovely trail. Goes through all those chocolate, the, the Cotswold Way, that's it. I remember reading about it. The reason why it's lovely is because it goes through all these Cotswold villages, which are, you know, born on the water, Chipping Camden. They're all quite well known. But what happens is you go through the villages and then they take you up high so that you can look down on them. It was like, oh, great. But um, it's bloody hard. So um, I was really lucky. The weather was great um, on that year. And it was my actually having to coincide with my 40th birthday. It's like, what do you do when you're 40? Just run 100 miles, right? Yeah, I like so, that. That's good. Yeah. So I, it was actually, and it's just sort of aligned, you know, it was like, oh, well, the race is actually starting on my birthday and I'm 40. So let's do it. So I, I, I had, do you know, what? I had no idea. I'd done, I'd wrecked quite a bit of it, but I had no idea. A, how it would feel, what pace I should be going, and what I finished with. So I felt really, I have to say, I was really lucky. For my first 100, I felt pretty good. I mean, was I had some any, tough times where I zoned out. Was there any other elite type people there that at the time where you thought, oh, I'd like to pick them off, I'd like to get, because you're not just like your average Joe. You are looking at those top 10 people and thinking, can I come within them? Can I pick these people off? Was there anyone like that at the race or not? Well, I wanted to win it outright. <laughs> I love that. I just wanted to win it. It was my fourth birthday. I wanted to win it. Yeah, and I wanted to beat the boys, but unfortunately, a guy called Rob Forbes turned up, who's a pretty good runner. I don't know if you've heard of him. I have heard of uh, him. Yeah, he does like TDS, and I think it's on Tour de Jean and stuff like that. He had a storm of that year and broke the course record um, and ran away with it. But I was probably, I was in like maybe the top 10, top 8 for a while. And then, sorry, as usual, the boys just blew up and... I went past them. I caught the guy who was in front of me, I think at maybe 20 miles to go. And he ran with me for a bit and then just, just everything came off. Um, but I, for me, it's, for me, it's about beating men. And um, so I, that's what I wanted to do. And, and then obviously getting as quick as I could. So I knew at one point, I was like, I think I can get under 20 hours. Um, no, I think, no, I knew I could get under 24 hours and then I, it was annoying though, cause I went through hundred miles at 19 hours, something. So I actually went under 20 hours, but because it's over, I think I finished in, I know I finished in 20 hours and 17 minutes because it was 2017. So, um, yeah, it was like, it was a cool day and it was, um, came second. So you came second yeah? Am I guessing? Yeah, I came second overall. Did you have anyone crew you? Just so people know, do you ever have people crew you on big races like that? I mean, a lot of people yeah. have people crew them at ultras. Did you have, do you ever have anyone pace you on the second halves? Like sometimes... No, you weren't allowed any paces until the last 5k. I mean, really, is there any point? You're so no. delirious, you don't know who's running next to you. Um, but I had crew, which was great. Um, that also included my parents, who decided halfway that they would get fish and chips with them all themselves, didn't bother to get me any, and hid it under the table at Painswick, wherever I was. I was like, I'm sure I just want fish and chips. And they're like, oh, no, no. Um, but, yeah, the crew were really good. But, um, 
I think also as many ultra runners, especially hundred milers or, or more, you're, you can probably relate to this. So I was like before, I was like, right, now this is what I want to eat because it's worked really well for me. So CCC, I really enjoyed like the chicken soup, bouillon sort of thing. Let's get loads of that ready. If you can get the jet boil out, you know, in the middle of nowhere, get that do it going. Maybe I'm gonna want um, some pork ice pies. cream here. Is pork pies in there, Holly? There's always pork pies. Yeah, obviously, obviously pork pies. I want all of this. And of course, every time yeah, when I came, yeah, what do you? What does Holly do? I want to hear. What does Holly like? I mean, does she have gels? Does I, she have food? Oh, so, so that's the thing. So it changes every time. So I came into the checkpoint, and there they were, like making this soup, and I was like, Nah, do you know what? I don't fancy it. I'm like what? Um, I, yeah, I think I want some pizza. We haven't got any goddamn pizza. Um, but um, so, what do I like? Uh, it's 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 difficult because I don't know what I like. I still haven't nailed it. But so I'll tell you for that hundred, I had to start with. It it starts differently and it ends differently. Oh, so it started with like avocado. This is so trail runner hippie shit. Avocado and hummus wraps. Oh, you've gone so, too far. What was breakfast then before the big race, before your first of 100 then? Well, breakfast is always the same. And the thing is, it started in midday, so it was quite difficult. So it was probably cake and champagne or something. But no, it wasn't. I had, um, I always have toast, peanut butter and a banana mashed up on top and black coffee. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the actual, and that's it, and just water. And then in the race, I was taking S-cats like every hour because it was quite warm. So it's taking S-cups because I think they work better than taking like noon tablets and stuff because if you don't drink it all, you don't get all your salt. So if you pop a tablet, that works. Um, and then I was having um, just plain water. I just have plain water. Um, I was having wraps to start with. And then I was, do you know what? If I come into an aid station, I just eat whatever I fancy. I've made mistakes with things like salted peanuts where I've choked on them because I've inhaled them too quickly. Mm. Um, and it's normally things like, yeah, biscuits, cake. I avoid fruit fruit is not a good thing i don't understand people who have dried fruit when they're running you'll just have to take so much bog roll with you it's not a good idea um and then things like pizza is really good i'm so and then as the race goes on longer and longer what will happen is my stomach will fall out and i can't stomach anything so when i got into wooden bassett which i think was like 70 something miles i was it was night and i i, I couldn't i could have I wasn't with it really. I wasn't focusing. I was massive blood sugar low. And I went into the aid station and I thought I was there for ages, but I was timed in and out 12 minutes. And in that time I had a black coffee, whole tin of rice pudding, which worked really well for me then. Love rice pudding. Um, love that. Rice pudding just came that. Um, probably a massive handful of Pringles. Um, I can't remember, like some sandwiches or something, whatever I can get in. And then... And then after that, I felt I came out of that like good as gold. And then after that, when your stomach falls out, I have to go on to gels. But the thing is, you don't want to get on to gels too early because if you get on the sugar train early, it's just a nightmare because that's all you can take on and you want it all the time. And then you start feeling sick. And then after that, I was on flat coke because that's all I could get in. Everyone does flat coke. Everyone does that. It works a treat. Make sure it's flat because it's not. It will come out of every orifice. And then... Um, the S caps, but then even then I was putting S caps in my mouth and my body was like spitting them out. It was like a cat being fed a, you know, a tablet who doesn't want it. But they do like um, the chewable one where you hold in your mouth now, don't they? Like a chewable salt tablet that kind maybe of- Maybe I didn't have them, yeah. Apparently I, I just 
I think the thing, I think the thing with, no, with, with most ultras or marathons, I think it's the, the nausea sets in from dehydration because you're always on the back burner with that. Because that's the other thing, I'm just pissing the whole way around. Just is constantly weeing. Is it not? In a way, it's almost like too much in a way. I don't know. I think that everything, remember, if you're running, and to be fair, I was running quite, to run 100 miles in like under 20 hours, you're, you're, you're not dawdling. So you're putting a lot of pressure on everything. You know, everything's jumbling up and down. You're running through the night, especially if you're doing races. That's another race I've done, Labrado, which starts at 11 o'clock at night. It is a nightmare. And UTMB starts at 5 p.m. Getting your food and you've been awake. No matter what you do, you've been awake because you've been terrified you're going to do this race. So you've been awake for hours and hours. And then the hallucinations are just horrific. Um, I had bad hallucinations at UTMB. Um, not so much in it, it, the Cotswold way, um, but it's it, all of that stuff is so hard to train for. I mean, how do you train for sleep deprivation? You don't, don't do know, it by depriving yourself. Hallucinations are quite cool. I'm sure me and Pete Stables could have a chat about that when he comes on later on in the future. But I mean, that won't listen, I've had my fair share of hallucinations, but I've been in a nightclub, not been <laughs> you know, um, running in the middle of nowhere with it oh. snowing and you've shit your pants. <laughs> I love that. My last long run, we went out, we got dropped off at the Lizard Point and we were going to run back to Prey Sands and it nice. was three mile an hour winds and I just did not take enough food, had so many layers on that I was sweating a lot without realising mm. it and then got too cold in a way because I had so much wet layers on. Yeah. And when I got to Port Levin, thank the Lord, Phil's pasty shop was still open because I <laughs> was dying of hunger. Being yeah. in there, everything was sold out. They were shutting down, but they still had the jumbo sausage roll, which was oh. an absolute lifesaver. And a can yeah. of Coke. I didn't care about it coming out because I knew I had seven miles to get home. Yeah. And that was gone. But Pete, a sausage roll is a good call, actually. Sausage roll or pork pie, because you've got that salty pork, carbohydrate, oily fat. It's, it's really good. People don't realise you can. They say, how can you eat and run? But once you start going... Is you, it just, it's gone. It goes in and it's, it's dissolved. It's there. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting thing. I get a lot of questions about stuff like that. So, so when I was a marathon runner, the thought of eating when you're running was just weird. Um, and also, you try and eat a pork pie running six-minute miling. It's pretty hard. Never going to happen. Um, and it's never going to happen. Um, what, the six-minute mile or eating a pork pie? Well, both. Um, both of me <laughs> at that stage. Like, so, yeah, so... so so it was a learning thing and I also used to be so that's the other thing I've taken from all this I used to be so precious about marathon race day and training it'd be like I have to have this certain food and if I can't see good sleep at this time or do this then like something really bad can happen and then when you realize when you realize you do ultras or multi-day stuff in the middle of nowhere it's like you get what you're given you eat this or you don't get anything and actually you've got to go and run in 10 minutes so you just deal with it and so I definitely have trained my gut in that way. I've still got a lot to go, I think, in races. I still haven't nailed it. But I could eat like a roast dinner and then go for a run. I love that. Whether, yeah, it's great. I mean, like people are sitting like, oh, you know, I have to have a porridge like three hours before. Well, I'd have to have another meal then. I'd be starving. Got to. You've got to get it in. But what I want to know is, where is Holly going from all this? So we know you've done the big races. You've come in the top five of all these races and all the rest of it. We know you've been to, you know, on the big stage for the country and everything, but where are you now? Like, what's happening now? I know you're still the ASICS front-runner manager. You still work for ASICS. You know, that's still a good point for you. 
obviously it's still mm. like involved within the community doesn't it but for racing wise where are you at where are you going you must still have dreams and stuff you want to do yeah definitely it's funny isn't it i so last year when i had i did like four marathons over sort of five six weeks and um and, and not expecting to run very fast because my prep hadn't been brilliant and I was having quite a stressful time at home. And I ran like 2.45 at the last marathon, so London, after running all these marathons, so I was tired. And I thought, oh, 2.45, that's actually not that bad. And then you look at rankings of my age and stuff, and I was like, oh, so maybe I could train for Manchester this year, which is just gone, and try and see if I could get under 2.40 again. Um, you know, not PB, but just run faster. And that's just my own target. But obviously that didn't happen. Like and you Pardon? Like you do, you just aim, you know, when you, when you just yeah. get a report and you think, I'm just going to run under two and a half hours-ish. Like. Well, exactly. I'm just thinking, my God, if I can knock off five minutes or so, that can't be that. <laughs> you know, when I thought about how little a training, like properly focused training I'd done, I think to be fair, I was like training on adrenaline fumes fume, fume, though. But um, so I thought maybe I could do that. And then obviously that didn't work out. I was supposed to be in Comrades. That's been postponed. And obviously I can't do it when it's postponed to. So really, I think I'm in the same situation as everyone. I don't really know. But I do have things I want to do. There's races I want to do. There's oh, places I want to go. I'd love to do Western States one day. Um, but that's the, it's the technical side of that, of actually qualifying and getting a place. Because it doesn't matter who you are, you still need to get a ticket. So for me, that's a... And I was supposed to be, I was supposed to race Lake Sonoma last year. And um, due to personal reasons, I couldn't do that, which was a golden ticket race. So there's, there's things like that. I want to race there. I would love to, I would love to run under 240 again for marathon, but I don't know how feasible that is. Um, and I would also like to do some, there's like some projects I want to do. I want to do some long distance, um, like adventure runs which I've done already, like running, I should be in the pool now, running around Annapurna, which I've done before on my own, but I was going to take Pete this time. I want to do some things like that. And I'd love to do something like Tour de Gion, which is another level of craziness, you know, like 200 miles. Well, talk us through Not everyone's going to know what some of these races are. They're just going to be general people who like going out and running. So just... What yeah, okay. So they're just races for people who hate themselves. So Tour de Gion is is in um in set in italy it starts in cormaya and it basically takes you like a week to do it um just and that's you have checkpoints it's like doing utmb twice um without stopping really. day. is there like an average a day you've got to do so you no. do 30 miles a day or 10 miles a day no. to work and then you bunk down you and carry on or you can sleep wherever you want, as in it has to be in a um an aid station there's a life station they're called so you can sleep wherever you want. You can make this. It's, it's a bit like the the spine, if anyone knows about that um, race, where you have to get from point to point. You get there as quick as you can. Clearly, running, walking, not on a bus, mm -hmm. and um, and you have checkpoints that you have to check into, and then you also um, you can sleep and eat for as long as you want. But there is a limit. There is a time limit. And I can't remember what the time limit. Is. So like UTMB is forty eight hours. You can do it in forty. 750 whatever you've just got to get it done and it's the same with Tour de Gion but it's like when you look at the profile so if you see a profile of like I don't know Edinburgh Marathon it's like that and you see the profile of Tour de Gion it's like this <laughs> so you're just like oh um and I guess uh this is the funny thing about any ultra runners listening to this trail ultra runners like when you're doing this stuff so when I did UTMB uh, uh, it's actually more so UTMB 
during it you're like i am never doing this again this is ridiculous why can't i be a normal person that likes going to like the shopping center at the weekend and going out for beers with my mates and playing golf or something no i've got something wrong with me that i feel i have to abuse myself in the mountains you know and feel horrific but what happens is when you finish you have that i can't really call it like ultra amnesia or something where you forget quite soon afterwards how shit you felt and then you end up signing up to do another race so I think that's the thing. I have to say that UTMB did properly scar me for quite a while. I didn't want to do it last year, last year because I it, it was really hard. And it's something that you don't just do lightly. You have to invest a lot of time and thought into it. And, and it takes a lot of mental capacity to get your head around it. So Tour de Jean would be something I would have to... I just think it was a really long, long picnic. But these things are, they're expensive to go and do, aren't they, to enter? People yes. do those. Like, you know, a friend of mine, Wanda Summers, she was a great ultra runner, and she would say to me, oh, I want to do this race, but it's like three grand, four grand, five grand. Yeah. Sometimes they're really expensive. People don't realise. And how hard to get in. Yeah, and a whole year of working was based around saving for these events and to go to them, but it's what she loved, you know? And also after races, people don't always get... If you have a big race and it means something to you, whether it's 32 miles, 26 miles, there's always a low after, like an emotional low, where everything, you put everything into it emotionally. And after you're like, shit, what am I going to do now? Because it's like... Yeah, I had a massive low after UTMB. I was actually really, because I'm not like this at all, but I was actually quite tearful all the time, mm-hmm. which is like, I'm not like that at all. I've been there. And, um, yeah, it was just, just, I just felt really crap and lost and I didn't know what I was going to do um and yeah it's it's almost like shell-shocked so those sort of races are tough and actually that's why I think it's really important to build up to that sort of stuff you know don't 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 go straight into that sort of stuff because it 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 can totally chew you up and spit you out I know a a guy here he's a great ultra runner here in Cornwall he works in a running shop and he does his own running channel and all the rest of it. And he done the arc. I don't even ever heard of the arc here in Cornwall, the hundred miler. Is that and the pirate? The arc is where they start like it. No, no, the guy that you're talking about. No. I know the arc of attrition. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah. he's, uh, he's done loads of stuff. And every time he went to try and do UTMB, he'd have problems. Like he'd have altitude sickness. He thought he was going yeah. to have to do the emergency thing. And, and it really got to him. I think, I don't know what, like level of it he did but I know that in the end he completed what he wanted to of it and that was it I think he was done with it but it took a lot for him to get over it and he'd done like the 100 miler here in Cornwall they reckon's one of the hardest ones in the world like you know yeah all that coast as you know around here is like hideous super hard yeah so um are you ever going to come down and try that out maybe one year or what so I watched a film, we watched a film back in the night, so I was saying it's called The Pirate or something, the guy who wins it quite a lot down your way, I can't remember his name. I don't know, I might, you'd have to remember his proper name for me to know. So. I can't remember, the last couple of years, but it's a really good um, film, you should have a look on YouTube, and, um, and it shows the trail, and obviously I know quite a few sections of it, and especially, I, I go down, I stay in Cornwall down in Helford, on, so it goes through near there, um, at that time of year, normally around January, and it's bleak. It is so bleak then, and the trails are so muddy, aren't they? And just um, churned up. 
Because they let ponies graze on them, especially around like Cadwick. Yeah, to keep it all down. And the worst bit, yeah. when you get to Senon and then you have, head from like Senon to St. Just, and then when you're going from there to St. Ives, that you're going to hit that at night and that is going to be the worst part yeah. of your life going along there because like it, if it was in the summer wouldn't it be so much better no it wouldn't be would it like do you know what pete stables i reckon he's the man for it because he is the ice king isn't he he'd get through that yeah. no problem no he's too much of a he's too much of a girl he'd have a breakdown i think after the first he 10 miles and he slipped i can't he slipped and he and he no, I think if he slipped and, you know, tore his compression socks or something, it would just be game over. Not that guy. He's too, he's too big, man. He's too buff for that shit. He wouldn't do not it. anymore. Oh, no, lockdown has, lockdown has done some terrible things to him. It's withered the man slightly. I know he doesn't like it being picked up. So we're not going to really go over it too much, like, you know. You need to ask him when you interview him. Ask him about what lockdown's done done to his body and his mind. Oh my God, we're, we're going to go deep on that. You know what I mean? We're going to go deep on that. So look, right? I think we, that's it for me. We're going to wrap this one up. Thank you Brilliant. so much, Holly, for giving no me worries. the chance to interview you. Love having you on. I'm hoping you guys will come down to Cornwall and try out what I wanted to offer you guys when all this is over. Maybe this year, if we can, or later on yeah. next year. And yeah, we'd love. To so much holly rush for coming on no worries thank Look, you before we go where people want to find you can you just hook up where people are going to be able to find you they want to follow you and look you up okay so i'm on instagram everything's rushed by nature so if you go onto instagram i'm rushed by nature uh, one word and the same on twitter and also have a website www.rushedbynature.com and on that we have all the blogs and all our programs that we sell i also do like mentoring and coaching so um, you just need to fill out a contact form and I'll get back to you at some point. I'm pretty good like that. Um, but yeah, you can find everything there. And also the Assets Frontrunner webpage um, has all the team there and also all our blogs on there as well. Um, so yeah, it'd be great. Boom, there we go. Holly Rush, catch you later. Thank you.